Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I'd stay going, so it opened up. We were only the small little fish out there, so we are, and uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just, I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Walford today because, like, I, I'm, heart, I'm heartbroken. Around hurling, it was Kilkenny, Ollie Kilkenny, the cornerback, another Kilkenny that came on as a sub, whipped on it from a break in midfield um, into a one on one scenario with Noel Lane, and uh, he just pulled on it along the ground. So the ball um, just two whipped um, ground hurling, pitch invasion. People were lining up along the, the, I love scenes like that where people are lining up along the pitch waiting to explode onto the field, and then they had to be you know, told to get off it. Um, but that was the, it was a great scene at the end of the game. But like I mean, without getting into analysis of it, that goal was so bloody important because Galway weren't able to get to break free. No, they weren't, and sure, you know the penalty then at the end. If if he hadn't scored that goal, you know it was really in the melting pot. Um, it didn't matter when the penalty did eventually come because, as you said, Noel Lane had had scored that goal. But you know, Noel was the the super sub. Uh, he got that tag for, for a number of years there for Galway and, and always produced it when he did come on. So I can kind of see why they, they held him in reserve and he hurled really well and he came on. And oh, he did. It, it, it was a great finish. He was after having a, you know, a couple of great battles inside in that full forward line and then you know he just shrugged him off and, and got it and nothing can Ken Hogan kind of do. He dives the right way, all right, but it just went under his body. Pretty hard to stop a shot like that. So That was uh, harsh, but... Harsh from no lane becoming a super sub. He scored five from playing ninety, did he not? Like, and then he was thirty-five. At that he was thirty-five at that stage, yeah. But uh, you know, if you look, if you look back through it, he scored the goal in in eighty-seven as well, and he came on as a um, a sub in the league final in eighty-nine, and, and did serious damage against Hip as well. So, you know, he just, I suppose, some players just get that tag, even though he obviously had started out his career brilliantly for Galway like that was his seventh All-Ireland you know he he played in 79 and 80 and won, won in 80 obviously but you know this was Galway's fourth in a row so you forget yeah. how 
probably dominant that Galway team were, even though they hadn't won a huge amount of All-Irelands. Yeah, no, definitely. Did you notice that he actually, he had a thigh injury? I think actually he was injured coming into this game. He took the bandage off his thigh rather than put the bandage on his thigh before he came onto the field. <laughs> he just got <laughs> into his head. Forget about it. But look, there's probably a little bit of psychology in that too. Sometimes, um, you know, when you have tape on or anything, I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but, you know, I have done something similar where, you, you you know, you're reminding yourself you're injured when you have tape on, whereas if you can take it off sometimes, you just go, ah, feck it, I'm, I'm going in now and there's no holding back. And when you're in there, you have to do it. And, you know, no one worries about your injuries when you're on the, the field to play. We've all been there. Yeah. Um, no matter what's going on, whether it's injuries or personal life or anything, they all have to be forgotten about and they don't learn. So he probably just said, shrugged it off and got rid of it and said, here, let's have a go. And he did, yeah. in fairness to him. He did, definitely did. So, like you mentioned, the tip penalty, that came straight after that. Like, I mean, the referee seemed to play an awful lot of injury time. It was great work by Paul Delaney, the cornerback, who was on the 65s. He, he dropped it in, and it was caught by Cormac Bonner. Now, Galway were happy to give away the penalty because this was the last book of the game. But here's the question that I want to ask you. Did Nicky English tap that over the bar because it made no posy difference whatsoever? The referee had him told it was the last book of the game. Galway were five up. I don't think he tapped it. I think he he went to went to hit it high and hard, and probably out of frustration. You know, often often in those situations, the ball does tend to fly over the bar. Because yeah, he walked um, away and just put his hand out to a lad, you know, before. Yeah, the, you know, yeah, he so kind. I've, I don't think he tapped it over. I think he went to roof it. To be fair to him, but just sometimes when, like, if you remember, see, see how close the players were to it. See, you didn't have to set the the big D at the time to keep players back and they were literally up on top of them and John Latty kind of goes over to Jerry Curran and say hey look look there was a one of the Galway lads who was you know did initially five on the line and uh, Jerry Curran made him go back to three in the line and one of the lads was standing at the like off the end line and John Latty was trying to point it out to him where he was but Jerry Curran shrugged him off as only Jerry Curran can you know Jerry's actually over the well originally from over the road um, from us here at home in Offaly and um, his, his brother Paddy won the All-Ireland but Offaly in, in 81 and actually he's the father of Jerry Curran um, the, the referee or sorry Dermot Curran I'm saying Jerry right. um, he's, he's the father of Dermot Curran they settled down in Cork and obviously Dermot's gone on to referee All-Ireland since Right okay that's interesting because like I mean he disallowed a goal in the second half for John Lahey and there was no more a disallowed goal like it wasn't even a foul I don't know what he pulled that back for No and I agree with you and it probably reminds me of the one where you know Anna Ryan scored it in 1990 you know where Joe Cooney was fouled or you know and uh, Anna Ryan finished it off you know it was something similar but I, if you look closely though because I did rewind to see where or what was going on in that situation like Nicky English definitely heard the, the whistle because he stopped the minute he heard the whistle he stopped and actually started walking back out towards the 21 and it was a fierce, harsh one. But I suppose, like, we're looking at it through a different lens now. There was no advantage back then. You know, when the whistle yeah. was blown, there was no such thing as hold up hands. Say, oh, look, I was true. That was just the way it was. You know, that that advantage rule has only come into play in the last number of years. It's, it's been, you know, kind of kind of coming into the game um, probably over the last 10 or 15 years, but only officially a rule the last couple of years. So yeah. um, thing, back then, you know, it's just think, totally different. Yeah, no, I get it. But I didn't even think your man Connolly was being fouled. The only thing, because I, I rewound it back a couple of times as well, Keady could have had hold of his hurl. Um, that's the only thing I could see was, was the, you know, was there a foul there? Because it was a lovely little finish from Lahey just getting there ahead of the goalie. Oh, it was lovely, to be fair. And that was probably, you know, John hadn't done a huge amount in that game. Um but uh, I tell you one thing for going away from the goal, John Latty for an 18 year old or 19 coming into a senior learn, the very first thing he did is he lettered Sylvie Lennon. He lettered him, yeah. He lettered. And like Sylvie was a tough, 
uh, Cookie now, cornerback, renowned, like, you know, as tough as they come, made some great battles with my father and um, by Jesus, no one went near Sylvie, but John just tells the bit of uh, boldness that was in him. He was laying down the marker first. Though. <laughs> he sure was a madman, to be fair to him. Well, like, I mean, I suppose you, it, it's better to pick out Sylvie, who's in the corner and you could get away from him, than do it to, to Pete Finnerty, who was going to be there beside you the whole game. Because he actually gave, it was a funny moment in the second half where he, he gave, Lahey was bowled and he was only 18 straight out of the minor. And he caught Finnerty with a kind of a, a, a petulant slap of the hurl on the hand. And Finnerty turned around. He clear, got rid of the ball and he turned around. And he, he blamed the wrong fella for doing it. Do you remember that happening? The <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they went at, yeah, they, yeah, and then ended up going at it. That's right, yeah. They went at it, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, no, Lahey 18. Like, I mean, in fairness to Lahey, it was funny seeing himself and Declan Ryan because we did the 97 game, obviously, not too long ago. And looking at the two main men on the 97 team, you know, on the half forward line, Lahey wasn't the main man, but just Declan Ryan, he he was he was the main man. By God, he had some all like it was a wonderful battle. You know, and again, you don't want to go into too much analysis, but himself and Jerry McInerney had a brilliant battle. Like Declan Ryan snipes four uh, and whipped on and some lovely ball, and by Jesus, he pulled a bit of timber in that first half too. Um, but Jerry McInerney, you know, snipes him for two and two big scores as well. So. But for Declan Ryan in his first year, like that was a brilliant, brilliant performance, and he was the only forward that probably that won his battle over this. Well, not even won it, but came close to winning it over the seventy minutes. Yeah, um, some performance yeah, no, from Declan Ryan. Ah, it was very good. We'll mention him at performance of the weekend. But like, I mean, when you look at the contrast, these these two teams had a savage rivalry in and around that time. But like, I mean, Galway probably more experienced. They had seven players playing their fourth final in a row. Yeah, an incredible stat with Jerry McInerney. He was playing only his eighth championship match and three of the eight were all early finals. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's just unbelievable stuff. And then in contrast, Tipperary. Tip hadn't been in the final since 1971. Nicky English was eight at that time. He was their captain. He was only 25. It was a very young Tip team. Like The commentary was saying... Um, only Pat Fox was married. I think, was that the clear team in 95 that none of them were married? No, none of them were married, yeah. None of them right. were married. And uh, not only were none of them married... Even in Tipperary, not that much had been expected of them. I think maybe Cork probably expected to win it in in or no, not wouldn't have been Cork. I don't know. It said in the commentary that Tip weren't expected to win in All Ireland that year. Yeah, well, I suppose like you know, Tip had caught um, Cork in in a couple of cracking monster finals in '87, and it was that that their first win, as you said, since um, since the '70s, and it was the famine was over and. Um, you know, joy scenes down in Canarney that day and it went to extra time even and McDoyle came on and, and scored a couple of goals and it was brilliant from a Tipperary perspective. But, you know, they met Galway in that All-Ireland semi-final and Galway beat them in a cracker. So it was kind of felt, you know, in 88 that maybe Tip would, you know, be that little bit slicker outfit and might have Galway's measure in 88. Um, they beat Cork again in the Munster final. So they showed that they had what it took to actually, you know, to, to get there. But, um, you know, Galway's experience, I suppose, really showed in that day. Like Tip, just you know, they came, they came close in that second half, but they never really looked like they were going to make any real inroads at all into that Galway defence. Um, I think you're right, though. The goal being disallowed was a big moment because that really would have, you know, put the cat among the pigeons at that stage. Yeah, what do you make of John Kennedy uh, kicking the ball out <laughs> using both feet? He'd kick off the right or the left. It made no difference whatsoever. <laughs> And he trapped the ball between his two feet in the first half, jumped up in the air, got it into his hand and booted it down the field to a huge cra- roar from the crowd. I would have thought 
hurling people back in the 80s would have booed something like that. Five times he kicked the ball in the first half. It was unbelievable. <laughs> Four times out of hand and another time it fell and he just threw a boot at it as well. It only went a couple of yards, but I never said to like it. Every time he got the ball, if he got under pressure at all, he just turned around and melted it down the field with, the, with his foot. Um, yeah, unbelievable stuff. Uh, Brilliant John, stuff. But he played bloody well, John Kennedy. I tell you that much. He did very well. He hit a lot. Like He, he won a huge amount of ball. Like When you look back on it, like because it was even, it was striking me the amount of, if he was kicking the ball that often, the amount of possessions he was winning, you know, so yeah. that was, you know, he definitely touched the ball 10, 11 times in that first half. Um, huge stats in all Ireland final. And, but it's like, it's amazing too, though, it's totally different hurling because, you know, the crowd really responded to first time hurling, you know, yeah. halfbacks, midfielders, half forwards, whipping on the ball. Like you could have a, a savage game and you might never put the ball in your hand. Yeah. You know, just keeping the ball moving and it on, whipping yeah. it on and just like, you know, Totally different style, brilliant at what they did, like, you know, um, and it was just kind of, obviously, it was shoulder-to-shoulder, hip-to-hip kind of stuff, and you can see why there is that little bit of nostalgia about that type of hurling. Yeah, no, you definitely can. So, Cyril Farrell, obviously, Galway manager at the time, he transformed them. He was 23 when he was manager of the Galway Miners, and he got them to a got them to a final. He won another 21 when he was 28 with Galway, and he coached. Um, Tipperary or Galway to an all Ireland final when Babs Keating was managing him something I never knew at all at 29 and then in 1980 he took over the team on his own and won an all Ireland. like I mean this is like Mourinho-esque kind of rise to to uh, to success Yeah like Cyril Farrell he, he's held in massive regard in Galway but he really should be you know up on a pedestal altogether like for what he he did for Galway Ireland and you know three all Irelands as manager and just phenomenal stuff, considering the amount of Allardens that Galway have only won over over their whole duration. So, like, th- th- that man, he obviously was not in the Galway hurling. He's an absolute legend. Um, when you, As you call out his statistics, it's it's massive. I know Galway have always had a huge conveyor belt of underage hurling, but, you know, he did it at every age, at senior and all. So, yeah. um, you couldn't but a- hold him in massive high regard. No, and he won another minor in 83 before he took them back over in 85 and got to the four finals in a row. Like, I mean, it's just incredible what he did um, in around that time. And in 1980, when he was manager, he was working as a teacher in Dublin. Now, in 85, he, he went back to Loch Ray and he was teaching there. But he used to drive um, from Dublin um, and he'd leave, it was over 10 hours. He wouldn't be back to Dublin until about 3, 3 a.m. And that was before any motorways, going through every bloody town on the way and no <laughs> mobile phones. Like, I mean, Christ almighty, you'd be, you, he must have been driven mad. Unbelievable, and a, an old Ford Escort or something as well. So, like, um, so he's he's uh, he's um, cause or his 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 ability to go for to to serious rounds to try and help Galway hurling and probably very little expenses back then as well. So, um, no, a massive, massive. I like obviously he's probably better known to the younger generation for his Sunday game exploits, but yeah, you know. He, you know, you, you kind of forget the huge kind of role he had with Galway. And look, he went on and he helped out a huge amount of clubs afterwards as well. And um, he was heavily involved with Dave Fitzgerald in LIT as well. And they won two Fitzgibbons. You know, he was selector for them as well. So um, that man knows nothing to hurling, that is for sure. No, he definitely doesn't. And he joins us on the line now. Cyril, we're talking about your commute back in 1980. Uh, no motorways, no mobile phones. That must have been hell. Yeah, like Colin, when you look back in the notes, it's kind of mad. When you're doing it, you, you just did it for the love of the game. And that time, like, you'd leave school around quarter past 25 minutes, back in around half to three in the morning. 
I remember coming down through say getting to Kinnegad and then you go through Turles Pass and all these little places in between and more it was always the traffic can be, be cruel. Early on, Colin coming from Dublin, I was going to two lads with me, they were working there, but as the time went on, they all got back to Galway, and I was, you know, I was wound up coming on my own. So, right, when you look back yeah. on it, you'd say, you know, it, the, the, the schedule was Tuesday, Thursday, and, and train the weekends, and it never dawned us to change for the Thursday to Friday when you were coming down anyway. That was that was kind of the end thing that I'm Tuesday, Thursday, and the weekend. That was the training schedule. Right, okay. So you could have changed it to Friday, and you would have synced it up with your weekend anyway. Yeah, yeah, but it just never, it never kind of entered our heads at all. It was just, that was the kind of traditional thing. You did two nights a week, Tuesday, Thursday, you did Saturday and Sunday. That was, that's the way it was. And never, it, you know, like we never varied really. Yeah, yeah. Because managers, they all tell me nowadays that they don't mind commutes because they're on their phone, they're ringing players, they're ringing selectors and they get all that kind of stuff out of the way. Well, yeah, well, see, it would be that way. Well, like what I'd be doing really, we put it to be running through your head. Like what, like kind of, you know, kind of what you're going to do and the game plans you're going to have. Not to be simple enough. That time, like you, you, told, you didn't walk the ball through the Lions column. You were kind of getting the ball and shifting it. Okay, you'd work hand passes. But nowadays, like you have sharp work outs and people kind of go, it's all possession. And that's probably why you have so many rooks because when the ball breaks down, when someone drops it, everyone's on top of it. Whereas before, like corner board, missed the ball, a good corner back would be gone into the pitch. So, like, it was kind of different style of hurling. But definitely driving along, you'd be thinking of what you're going to do. And when you stop for a cup of tea or coffee, you'd have the stop or two that you'd be used to. You'd, you'd kind of write down your thoughts on, on, a, on a little pad that you have from school. And maybe some of it would come through and some of it wouldn't, you know. But, like, it'd be running through your head. You're thinking hurling the whole time, really, even though you'd have the music on in the car. Yeah, I knew, look, I knew you were 30 when you won the All-Ireland in 1980. I knew all that stuff. I knew you had been with the the minors and the under 21s. I never knew you were assistant to Babs Keating in 1979. That was a new one to me. Yeah, yeah, I was on the training team and he was a coach and there was other, like, we had a good set up, like, and, you know, we didn't play well in the final. I was hard to beat you, Kenny, but like myself and Babs, even though, like, he was over-tipped him and was terrible, right, but we, came, we became great friends because we used to travel up and down together that time and he was a great character and we've remained friends since, even on the sideline when things would be tough, like, and, uh, you know, <laughs> you'd be doing your best to, to beat the opposition. Ourselves and Tip had fierce rivalry that time, but he, he still remained a great friend, even on the line. He was, he was, he was a character. I uh, know he's a, he's a great character and still is. But before the '88 final, Babs engaged in a little bit of trash talking where he said Galway's uh, they were too physical and dirty, um, and I think you had to come, you had to come back at him. Ah, uh, yeah, but you look at that. That's all part of the. That'd be part of the kind of uh, just kind of get into your head and get maybe get into the referee's head, which is more like it. like we'd all try anything to win. That's the thing. Like when you when you're on you're over a team or on a team or on the sideline for that seventy or eighty minutes, you're going to try to win. But it's only a game with all the things though. But for that, you're going to like your 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 deadliest arrivals for that seventy or eighty minutes. But once it's over, like these all these guys that time, Colin became the greatest of friends afterwards. Yeah, that was the thing. That was definitely you, you were probably too old then over that period against Tipperary. Uh, you beat. Them 87, 88, then they beat you in a semi in 89, and uh, did they beat you? They beat you in 89 and in 91, was that right? Yeah, yeah. I uh, would like, you see, traditionally, like Tip, Kilkenny, Carthys, they'd be beating Galway like most times, you know what I mean? That, like, we'd be only coming now and again, like, to win. First, I'll say in, in, in modern, like, we had one I learned in 23, and then happened to win again in 80, but like, there's a trouble long gap there, like, you know, we'd be kind of one of the if if you say look at say Wexford winning one or Dublin winning one or Offaly or Clare, Watford and these, these like they, it'd be fantastic. But we only all come down again. Whereas you look at the likes of Tip, Cockle, Kinney, if you put all their all Ireland together, they, they, there's very little left for everyone else. So 
it's important that we'll call it that that the other hurling counties come and win one now and again now just to keep keep the whole thing kind of revolving really. Yeah. What what did you make of the nineteen eighty eight game? Like it was, I, I watched it um, yesterday. It wasn't a classic. Now it was it was scrappy enough, but no. the, the really strong wind didn't help things. Yeah, well, like it was a strong breeze. Like and <laughs> at this stage, column the, the teams knew one another very well. You know what I mean? Between league and championship, we were playing. We were kind of both tip and go. were kind of at the top. You know, at that time more or less anyway. Kind of. And yeah. It was it was intense rivalry and we got the lads got to know another inside out you know that know that have first name that know what to, everyone kind of know what the other lad is going to do within reason anyway and uh, like you know like it, it would have it would have been very physical because it was building up building up building up and you know in 80 what was it 87 you know like uh, we played them say in a semi-final they kind of came from you know kind of from, from being out of the line for a while came through with kind of a, with Babs' team like you must remember that Babs kind of brought them when Tipper going real bad and he took over that time he, he brought them back up to the top again like he just changed everything suits you know blazers big buses he kind of he razzmatazzed the whole thing up like and got Lazarus he believed himself so it was a kind of a like we knew like the way Babs would be thinking he'd be real hurling man like and it was going to come down to the wire like that day. Like Aidan Ryan was corner forward and he spent most time around midfield. We didn't follow out. We kind of we Dan was corner back and we kept the corner like we held our shape, you know. But like it was, we had a very lucky break. I know it was the second half. They had a goal disallowed. I know it was down two or three at the time and the, yeah. the, the, the three was given to pull. Yeah, I was lucky that one because there wasn't much in that. No, you know, there wasn't much. You see, that's just that's the able flow to just pull back for a free. Like, if that go and did, like, it's just, you know, they're the small things. And then, like, looking back, and I know it's a while, looking back, and I remember behind Noel Lane, Tony Kilkenny, Tony Swift, like, which he'd be good at, whipped the ball on the ground, which you don't see much nowadays midfield. Yeah. No ground shot coming in. Lane gets inside the full back and gets a goal. Like, it, it's kind of, it's kind of Ryder over stuff, but, like, you need breaks from them things, like, and when you win, you know, forget all about the little things that could have gone wrong, you know. Yeah, no, Lane made a big difference, I thought. I thought you played you played a lot more controlled play against the wind than you did with the wind. And he brought Joe Cooney into it because he was able to get on the ball and, you know, throw it around a bit. Yeah. But Colin, that often happens because, like, with the wind, you have to carry a bit, like, you know, kind of face up to it and the ball yeah. won't go wide. Whereas, whereas, whereas against the wind, but when you're with it, you're trying to be popping from outside. I think we, we took the breeze and uh, we're up about four points at halftime. Now, it wasn't much of a lead against with that with that breeze. Like you know, Tip would be happy at halftime. But like Tony Keady had a fantastic game that day. Like you know, Ollie Kilkenny, they all played. They all played. Now half back, our backs were kind of, you know, we were solid in the sense that the team was very very settled at the stage. That doesn't mean you're going to win, but the kind of knew what one was going to do. Like at that time, you had Fiona to Keady McInerney. They were really kind of solid. I think Keady had a, at that day had probably a fantastic game. Ollie Kilkenny was on. Uh, he had a great game of pack yeah, 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 yeah. Another unusual thing that day, Declan Ryan would hurt us. Very underrated. Yeah, got four fantastic points. It was on Jerry Mack, but Jerry Mack went forward and got two points. Now the, both of them played well, you know. But yeah. both, like you know, Mack kind of hit back, but like Ryan got four points in play, which is which is as much as any wing forward is going to do, you know. Oh, Strong, he did. He, yeah, he did. He got three. He got three at the start of the second half. I I, w- I wasn't sure had he moved in centre forward on on Keady at that stage, and Keady was dropping off him. I didn't really know. It was hard to tell with the. Well, it's hard the to, yeah, yeah, well, it's, yeah. It's hard enough to make up, but like he's very strong. You see, like they would have like they had John Lahey say and Declan Ryan and Antonio O'Connell and say inside Nicky Nicky English was, was in his prime that time and Pat Fox these guys like they had very good forwards like you yeah. know they got it like we'd be at home forwards but they'd be good as well both sets of forwards or the backs backs of both sides would be under pressure but like it, 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 was yeah. a very, it was a very low scoring game like for the All-Ireland final 
It was. Jeez, McInerney was magic, though, wasn't he? What a half-back line that was. Like, it was absolutely incredible, really, when you look back on the three of them. All the kind of different types of players bringing different stuff to the table. Yeah, well, it just happened to click together. Like, it's funny that can happen, because before that, like, you had, say, you had Miggy Clark going back, you had Silk, say, Central Back, and say, Joe McDonough, kind of with other teams. And before that, again, you know, these fellas, when, they, when, when we got them together, they really gelled, you know what I mean? And as you say, all been in different attributes to the table like but when they were clicking they were they were very very good for them few years like and uh, you know looking back at it down you'd see them like uh, like Keely was a brilliant hurler like they be very very good in the air kind of drive forward out of Finnerty like if you said to Pete Finnerty well you're not, you can go through the wall there people you're not coming hard enough that's what's wrong he just turned around and come at it that would be him he just go through <laughs> yeah, like yeah. his mind his mind would be very strong his mind over matter he would have that you know what I mean he just wouldn't if you hit him hard enough to knock him he wouldn't go down he'd, he'd pop up again because he just wouldn't let it happen you know, that kind of way that, yeah, that yeah, was just yeah. in he was a hardy hero I think was, John Lahey gave him a little flick on the hand in the second half and turned around <laughs> wondering who did it to him and I think he squared up to Connolly the wrong, the wrong fella yeah, yeah, when well, that happened, then inside him, like uh, Connor Hayes, would be very good hurling fullback. He, was, he said Sylvie would be like Sylvie would be rated very hard and tough, but Sylvie was a brilliant hurler, great skill. Now, like Kenny, like would you know would be playing on the edge, but very, very good. And like at that stage, himself and Fox room another inside out. Like now, Fox was very, very good. Like he was a brilliant. Like Mickey English would have, would be the leader of the attack. Like really, would Fox was lethal as well. You know, so like they were very, very dangerous. Always kind of capable of getting the goal. You'd never be sure until the whistle was gone, like with him lives. You know, it was it was it was great. You know, it, it was great rivalry. But after after saying that, it was great respect as well. You know. Yeah, yeah, no, it was. It was. Uh, look, there, there, it definitely looked like there was. Come here, you finished in eighty two. Then Galway won a minor under twenty one All Ireland's in eighty three. You that, obviously that must have had McInerney on it and and Keady and Joe. Yeah, I, I I I was coaching the. I you were with the under twenty ones or the minors. No, it was it the minors? Uh, John Fahey, the president, his, his hurling board secretary. Now he's uh, he was manager. He asked me to coach them, so I went. It was a summer campaign, really. We were training the winter tour, but like the main thing was the summer, and uh, we had a lot of that. You know, a lot of that team: Sean Common, Pat Malone, Jerry McInerney, Sean Tracy, Anthony Cunningham, Tom Mahan, Joe Cooney. All them guys were there in '83. We got it. We, we won the first All Ireland for Galway in '83. So it was tough. Touch, oh. So they, I, when I came back in the end of 84, 85, won in All-Ireland under 21 with most of them in 86. But I brought all the more or less the top bunch of that lads in. They all came on to a senior school, you know, with, all, with some of the older lads kept on. They were the kind of the nucleus of... And we, they also won Galway also won under 21 in 83. So, like, it was kind yeah. of a, you know, a mixture of, you know, of, 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 the, of the two squads, plus a few held on. The funny about Tony Keady is when we brought him in, first we brought him in as a forward, you know, into the panel. But he was right. a forward. He used to he did a lot of his club hurling at that time in underage, uh, central full forward. He was a kind of an actual hurler. Like, you know, we wound up in a in a trial match in in Athen Rye, putting him central back and he was there then until he, he retired, you know what I mean? So yeah. I was at, yeah, I was struck by how young the Galway team were even in eighty eight. Like you didn't you didn't win another one after that. That must be a, a like I don't know when you're looking back at it. I suppose the 1990 match was on TG Cahir yesterday, and I don't know how you lost that match. Yeah. But like that was probably one that got away. Ped, yeah, Ped well enough to win it. But again, like Cork is very good forward. We we were in top. Like when I, I looked at it yesterday, and like, I didn't realize that Cork did well in the first half for most of the lead, and then we got on top. But even in the second half, we played very well against the Breeze, and they they hit us with goals. But again, like both sets of forwards were on top. Both sets of forwards were on top of their backs. Now backs were trying hard to hold up, but like. It was when you look at it, like they scored. What was it? Five fifty. We scored 
221 to win Lama and missed a few goals. You know, and in that one, we had a goal disallowed. Like, they're, they're the breaks that you, you need and they don't get a lot of goals. You know, what you call knocked and cut through and Sir Kuna made a great save, came out with the angle, but he made a save, all right, but the umpire waved it wide, mixing the ball yeah. out. out. But they're, they're the things that happens and you'll get your breaks over a few years but you won't get them the whole time so like it's you know you have to take that under the because I think it was Cunningham saved that with his nose did he break his nose or he had some yeah he's his head but you see he did cut off the angle but like we yeah. got that goal like you know but if that goal didn't, not saying he made a save but didn't just to compound the thing it was the puck out came and Tony Tony got on top of it he was a good order but but again now there Colin you see people didn't realise looking at there was a strong breeze there as well we had it the first half they had a second half so it meant that the puck out there was no such thing then as a short puck out like everyone was coming bombing down but it was even by, it was going into the it's going in between the half back line full back line we pulled back the half back line as much as we could but even the breaking ball once it broke if the decks got it going to clear but if the far guard it was a fair chance to score it was it was kind of direct hurling. There was no very little, uh, no sharp, no sharp passing from the goalie out. You see, if, if the goalie didn't poke it long, there was something wrong with him. You know. Yeah. No. No. That's true. Like I mean, and and, and then the way the wind ruins it, because when they'd be inclined to drive it long, then you definitely would when you had the aid of a breeze. Yeah, so there yeah. was no doubt that everything oh, yeah. was going yeah. to be oh, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. down the field. Camille I mean, yeah. Finnerty made a comment that I thought was interesting, right? And I wanted to run it past you because this applies to Galway right throughout the years and especially in the last maybe 20 years. He said, Galway hammered awfully by double scores in 1991, right? And awfully gone and they won two All-Irelands um, in the 90s and Galway didn't win any. And uh, Finnerty says Offaly had to stick with the hurlers they had the Pilkingtons the Whelans the Troys um, they had no choice there was no conveyor belt coming Galway probably won two or three more under 21s in the 90s and if you didn't have a good game you were nearly replaced by another under 21 we never we never settled with teams and were too quick to get rid of managers and things like that like do Galway win too much underage and they're chopping and changing too much because like well I mean, you see you, you, you want to win underage and it's great to have a supply yeah. line coming like I, I only I was involved in one minor I, I was involved five hundred fifty ones of them but uh, Pete could be right like the thing is when you have players coming through if a lad doesn't click you have, you have to give players time you know what I mean? There's yeah. no doubt about it. Give them confidence. Plus, you have to give managers time as well, like to get things going. And you see, say in 1980 when we won All Ireland, everyone was very happy. You know, it's great to win, and everyone's you know so long winning. But then you see, after winning, you have 20 or 30 thousand things that there's no problem to win. You know what I mean? You have this thing, oh, there's no problem. Why didn't we win this? Or that? You know, like you have kind of a lot of experts all of a sudden. And right. a county that's not used to winning, they can get carried away a little bit. Like whereas if say if you're into Kenny. Clark or Tip I'm just picking them three because they won the most yeah. every year they'd be expected if you're in Kilkenny when you start the year no matter what team you have let them be good or bad you're expected to win all Ireland you see in Galway like you'd be hoping to win now that has changed like now you'd be expecting to win as well which is a good thing but you still have to give you have to give kind of players time you have to give management I would think t- it was right in the sense that when we weren't winning we were changing and like maybe it wasn't, it wasn't anything to do with okay the players not, you have to kind of deliver but you have to be given time to deliver as well you know what yeah. I mean you just can't keep changing the whole time I thought it was an interesting one based on you know we always look at Galway and yeah. see at the minors that you win in the last 10 years you've won three you won three in a row up there you know in the la- three of the last four maybe and you're always wondering yeah. what happens to all these young lads 
Yeah, well, there's a stage where Matt Murphy and his management team were, were turning out miners. And going back now to the 80s, 90s, he was turning out miners nearly every year or every second year winning. And even if they didn't win, the quality would be very good. And most of these lads weren't going away now. Like, you know, like, kind of the, the thing now is most of them go to college for a few years, three or four years anyway, before they go anywhere. So yeah. still around. But, like, of course, maybe the lifestyle and that sort of stuff, the commitment is big. But because that was in, we can need a few breaks as well. But, like, it just show you how, it shows you how hard it is to win, though. And then, of course, Kilkenny came along in, so we playing Cody, and they were very, very good. Yeah, no, well, they kind of put a blanket. They they put a blanket. Like you see, usually if you come with a team, there's some team against you, but you could be lucky or unlucky. Like in the Cody era, era, you'd have to say that the teams against them were unlucky in the sense that they're a great team, but he came across iconic players as well. Like and the big, they came together, and okay, he put them together, but they were all there. No, no, he's starting again to put another team together, but mightn't be as easy. When I say easy, the, the the players don't seem to be there at the same quality at the moment. But like, that's not to say he's not going to win it. But like, you have to you have to work hard to get there. It's not. It's good to have the underage thing coming through. That doesn't guarantee you success. It really is how you how you weld them together and maybe how you how you get them to work together and, and kind of well they're all going for the common goal. But they have to give a lot. There's no doubt about that. Like, yeah, no, they definitely come here just to finish up with you, Cyril. Um, like, I mean, you did mention like sometimes people don't put Galway in the same bracket as the Wexfords and the Waterfords and these. When you're, you're right, and they are based on what they've won. But like, I mean, the 1980s, Galway were the big team in the country and that was it, you know, three All-Irelands and all the All-Ireland finals. You must look back on that time with a lot of pride. Ah, yeah, sure, it was, it was fantastic, really. Like, yeah, you, had, you, were, you were kind of at the top the whole time. You produced the minor team to win. You had, you know, the, the under-21 team won. There was other under-21 teams that won as well. Like, uh, you know, it, and like, it's great. When you look back at it now, it makes you realise how good the times were. Maybe at the time you didn't realise how how good you realise how good they were, but you didn't realise how big it was in the sense yeah. that you're kind of in a bubble. So anyway, look back and on. The big thing is that you made friends like the lads that have remained loyal to another right through, and and the opposition teams like say the Tips, the Kilkenny's, the Offaly's that time must be great for the rivalry as well. Very near to here, like you know. The now the, the the funny thing is, Colin, your greatest the lads you were trying to kill one another turn out to be the lads that have kind of become your friends afterwards, and Anthony would want to do that back into the hit, which is which is what sport is all about, really. Like, when you can win one All Ireland, that's be sent to the boys. It doesn't matter how many you win. If you can win one, you know, that's, that's <laughs> yeah. a big one. Well, that was a good one. I just leave you on this because I had uh, Chaff Fitzpatrick. I'm looking back at all All Irelands, and I was looking at the 2006 one there last Thursday, and Chaff Fitz. I was asking him why he retired when he's 26. And he says, well, if you've climbed Everest five times, does it make any difference if you climb it six, <laughs> six times or not? Yeah, yeah well, like, yeah. it's like, oh, lads, we often say, well, like, it's your first new world, like, and, you know, the nerves might get you. I keep saying, it doesn't work that way. Your 10th dollar, if you're in 10 in a row or, or in 10 all which would be a lot, your 10th one is the biggest one because you realise yeah. how, how big a thing is to lose. Whereas the first one, like you don't, it's new and it's all about winning and you're kind of fresh. You don't realise the consequences of losing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Cyril, come here. Thanks very much for taking the call. Okay, no problem, Colin. No problem. Dead on, dead on. Let's chill the beans. There still is a lot of work to be done yet. Just give us a small bit of time. Just give us a small bit of time. Let's chill the beans. But I tell you, give us a year, a year and a bit. Just give us a small bit of time. Just give us a small bit of time. Let's chill the beans. Let's chill the beans. Beans. Let's chill the beans. Let's chill the beans. Beans. Let's chill the beans. There still is a lot of work to be done yet. 
Just give us a small bit of time. Just give us a small bit of time. Let's chill the beans. But I tell you, give us a year, a year and a bit. Just give us a small bit of time. Just give us a small bit of time. Let's chill the beans. So Galway won 15, Tipperary 14 points. And they said in the commentary that Tip uh, won the toss and went against the strong wind, which I thought was a very strange one, Brian, considering they hadn't been in a final since 1971. Now, I understand that they would have wanted to play into their supporters on Hill 16 in the second half. But still, you know, with a, with a, with a team like that against the experienced team, you should probably take the advantage. Yeah, probably. But look... Sure, this is the age-old thing about, you know, should you play with the wind or not? And, y- y- you like, there's no right or wrong answer to this. Like, a lot of, you know, you'll meet a different manager or a different coach or a different player or whatever, and they will convince you, oh, no, play with the wind in the first yeah. half um, for whatever reason. And we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get in front and we'll ride it out then in the second half. And someone will tell, convince you the complete opposite in the second half. I don't know. Sometimes you just have to go with how you're feeling at the moment. But I do appreciate your point. You know, probably would be better for Tipperary to settle into that game um, and, and try and, you know, ease the tension, I suppose, as you said, for the first All-Ireland for all these players um, and not let an experienced team like Galway settle down. And Galway definitely settled in that first half. You know, they did a huge amount of hurling, but just before halftime, I suppose, Tip got a bit of a sport and got a couple of points, um, you know, and kept it fairly reasonable. They'd have been reasonably happy at halftime, you know, four points down. And Galway had done all the hurling. Yet, you know, Tip were somehow somehow still in there. I suppose Declan Ryan, as we already said, probably had kept him in the game with a couple of points and played the only Connell with one when there was, you know, a bit of a bit of a goal chance on, but um probably poor free taking probably on both sides. Yeah. Um, kept Nick kept the score down a bit. Yeah. yeah. It, to be honest, it was a very scrappy game and like I was saying to Cyril, the wind the wind kind of ruined it because you know the the, the players they want to they want to just drive it down the field and some of them try not to, and like Galway especially will, you know, play more of a short game if they can. But when you have the wind, they're just launching it, and the and the puckouts are being launched. You end up with a kind of a rook on the other twenty-one, and there there's no flow to the game because the puckouts are going too far. And not only the puckouts, if a cornerback gets it, he's giving it to Holly down the other end, and poor Nicky English is tearing his hair out running around, you know, getting shite balls. You know, the whole thing kind of. A strong wind ruined the game back then, basically, is my point. Yeah, and you probably saw both teams hurl, like the inside forward lines, hurl more ball when they were playing into the wind. Because yeah. the ball, as you said, wasn't being yeah. launched on top of them. It was being played out into the corners and they were able to maybe try and move out and, and try and trouble the cornerbacks. And there was a couple of good passes to play when they did that. But obviously, trying to engineer scores out of it was another thing. Um, you know, you're right. The amount of times you've just seen ball just down towards the hill 16 and just lamp it down and the whole half back line whether it was Tipper or Galway um, depending who was playing into the wind they were just sitting there like sitting maybe 25 yards out and there was no space whatsoever so um, you know while it probably looked that Tipper had done well as we said to stay in touch um, it was still very hard to see where their scores were going to come from um, especially with Declan Ryan as I said probably the only one that was making any inroads maybe Donny O'Connell to a, to a lesser extent um, so their, their, their scores are hard come and they didn't have shooters from out the field like what Pat Malone was able to do for Galway Yeah Pat Malone actually played very well he had two bad whites but he had two great points and he kind of forced Babs into a reshuffle he moved Aidan Ryan out um, to midfield and Colin Bonner strangely off into corner forward 
Yeah, and actually, it was a strange one because Aiden Ryan, even in the first half, he was picked up at the left and Sylvia, but he still kind of wanted to half hurl as a, a fourth half forward or just kind of drifting away from, from Sylvia. And Sylvia led him off, you know, and, and he stood his ground and uh, he hurled a bit of ball just by being in the right place at the right time. So it was probably poor from Tipperary that they, they hit it in to where Sylvie was. Um, but Aidan then obviously preferred to be, you know, roving, not being stuck in the corner. You could see what he was trying to do. He was trying to move Sylvie around. Um, maybe that was his own approach to playing corner forward. But as you're right, like Babs moved him out, moved um, Colin Bonner up corner forward. That was a strange one, right? But, uh, you know, they even brought out Nicky English at one stage there because yeah. he, he scored a free and started jogging straight back out the field and you're wondering where he's going. So you could see that they were very, very frustrated um, in that first half that they weren't getting used to the ball at all um, inside. But you can just imagine how much he was tearing his hair out in the second half because, you know, there was no space no, whatsoever. Worse, and, yeah. you know, as I said, they weren't getting shooters in distance either. I think it was a sideline for McInerney to Linsky um, who caught it you know, and stuck it over the bar. And, you know, he was, Linsky and Joe Cooney were swapping and neither of them could get into the game. And I think it was just the long clearances were messing it all up. They just couldn't get any, neither team could get flow to their game. No, the couldn't. And look, goal opportunities then were obviously um, far and few between. And that was probably as much because of the fact that there were so many bodies um, camped in that, uh, you know, that shooting zone right in front of the goals, particularly the Hill 16 end. Um, so there was, it was, it was, you know, difficult to get kind of free flow and hurling and probably nice hurling and it was a kind of a dour game really. Like it was a it was a not a great game overall. Like both Caldwell oh. Ireland's were dour games. They don't care obviously they won both of them. But you know they they, they weren't they were supposed to were making sure that um it was going to be tough, tight at the back and they were going to try and make sure that there weren't shootouts like what happened this was with Cork in eighty six. Yeah, well their backs were brilliant. Like I mean their half back line was out of control it was that good and then at Kilkenny in the corner was brilliant and you know Hayes at fullback they had a brilliant they had a brilliant defence so like I mean you could see how to score they'd be keeping the score down maybe Tipperary only scoring 14 points it was a, a brilliant defensive display by them but like I mean they didn't spark at all up front and like Joe Cooney when we, when we look at the the 1990 game you would think Joe Cooney was a completely different player to the one that played there like and then started getting a bit greedy should have given one back out to Anthony Cunningham he took goals for himself you know with his back to goals poor Cunningham gets the line then not long after that um, he hadn't been in the, I never saw him playing uh, like usually with Cunningham he's in the game he might put a wide or two but like he just didn't feel the weight of the ball in that game but Joe Cooney just I don't know the game just completely bypassed him and like I said swapping in and out and in and out. There was no way of getting them into the game. No, there wasn't. And look, even in 1990, it shows how determined though they were to hurl Joe Cooney straight down the centre. You know, it never seemed to um, feature at all that he might be moved to the wing or moved to the corner even. Because even when Noel Lane came on, I thought to myself, oh, he's going to go in now full forward. I know he ended up there for when he got the goal, but I just thought, you know, that was because Brendan Linsky was taken off, bear in mind, you know, with right. a couple of minutes to go. So, you know, I would have thought, maybe made more sense to put put Linsky to centre forward, no lane to full and maybe try and work Joe at either the corner or the wing and, you know, see could he um isolate maybe one of the corner backs and try and work him on the the, the into scoring at that stage. And you know if you um remember back in that previous show in nineteen ninety eight, that's what I was critical of as well. The fact that they didn't move him out of centre forward and try and get him into the game because he obviously was a fantastic hurler and he played well leading up to that, you know, in the previous two years as well. 
um, but they just didn't they didn't get anything out of him in that final. You're you're right, but I suppose Hopper McGrath coming out the wing forward though really was one of the big moves. That was a big turning point. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it really was. You know, because he got a couple of great scores when he went out there to wing forward. He, he was just in the right t- right place at the right time. And you know, as you said, John Kennedy had hurled well and hurled a huge one of the ball and kept Cunningham quiet. Whereas then um, Hopper McGrath sniped him for a couple of points and a couple of great scores. A couple of two great scores, but like it, the ball suddenly started moving through the half forward line when he went out there, you know. And then he was giving good ball in the odd time then as well. Some of them across the field, even to no lane. He he had an excellent second half. I thought Hopper McGrath, especially considering he had, he was so quiet in the first one. Yeah, and, and look, he 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 just paused. I, I know Cunningham's a, a direct runner, but he suppose he 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 paused a different threat out there, scoring. Uh, wise and he was he was moving into space and getting himself into good opportunities. Like that second point he got, you could cop in the on the screen that he'd moved into that position to to, to you know to get the ball, and it took about uh, thirty seconds for it to get out there because Joe Cooney was being bottled up, and eventually I think it was Aaron Ryan saw him or someone saw him and sniped it out to him, and, and he got a good score. But um, you know, Aaron Ryan had flashes of of genius as well. He, he gave a brilliant hand pass out to Martin Nocton. It was a great kind of one-two movement um, out to Martin Nocton in the first half, and he got a great score. Um, so Anna Ryan, and he got a good, you know, I think he, I think he got a good point at the very start as well. So, um, you know, we saw flashes of, of brilliance from maybe Nocton and, and Anna Ryan, but um, I think you're right. Hopper McGrath in that second half was probably one, one of the big, big changes, you know, getting him out there. Yeah, I think Nocton had been on fire in the in the semi final, and he was obviously brilliant in the nineteen ninety final that we covered as well. He he wasn't in it that much, and he was taking too many pot shots, and he he left the field. And Cunningham, the two wing forwards that played so well in nineteen ninety, both left the field. Um, don't know what we read too much into that, but Tipperary got it back to a point with nine nine minutes gone in the second half. Like I mean, if you're watching that game live, you think that Tipperary surely will go on to win this now. Yeah, you. Yeah, you're you're right, but like it, it does, it, it goes back to that analysis that we we're saying. The ball was probably traveling too far, um, and they just weren't getting their their real danger men. You know, you're talking Pat Fox and Nick English, two of the best forwards yeah. Tipperary have ever produced, and they were just getting bottled up. Um, any time they got the ball, like that suited Ollie Kilkenny and, and Connor Hayes down to the ground. Do you know what I mean? Like they weren't. Yeah. Ollie Kilkenny had a good one-on-one battle with Pat Fox in the first half. Um, but like every time in the second half, the ball would near either English or Fox. Like the amount of bodies around them, do you know, like there was yeah. absolutely nothing they could do. do. You know, like maybe unless they were brought out to the half hour line and posed something different as well. What I'm saying, um, you know, they, they just couldn't get them on ball in space. And and um, I say I'd say that's a big massive regret from a Tipperary perspective. Do you know that um, they they really couldn't get those those danger men into that game. Yeah, well, like, I mean, in a way, like, I know there was no puck-out strategies back then, but surely it would have crossed, like, they'd have team meetings and Nicky English and Pat Fox would say, look, when we go that long with a wind, we're getting, you know, bottled out of it. Or, or were teams back then getting it down as long as they could with the hope that, say, Lahey's goal that was ruled out, you know, they'd get a lucky break and it's a goal. Is that, you know, was that the thinking behind it? Look, our, our dangerous inside forwards might not get much ball in space but we look we'll just stick it down into there and something will come off it yeah well generally matches were much more lower scoring I suppose back then it's exactly what you're saying it was just you know they weren't as prolific and um, every single score counted and there were big scores um, there was yeah. no such thing as you know a couple of handy scores so 
you're right. You know, you, you just try and work those opportunities. Different again, we're looking at it through a different lens. I think back then, and and still we hear a lot of traditional people saying, "Get the ball into the danger zone." You know, it'll cause consternation. Um, you particularly see that in club hurling. I think where you, you hear people shouting in hurlers on the ditch, shouting in, drive it in. You know, um, might only get one score out of six balls, but it looks dangerous. So it must yeah, be dangerous, yeah. even the though backs are lapping up, it up. Yeah. You know that kind of way. Yeah. So yeah, it's like it's just, it's just different way hurling. Yeah, no, it definitely is. Like, I mean, it was, it, it's definitely a weird one when you look at Nicky English and I was just looking at the game going, him and Pat Fox, how the hell would they not be saying, lads, will you stop doing that? We're, this this is hard. Like, and you're there, because Nicky English wore his heart on his sleeve. So he's running around trying, like, it's not like from a lack of trying on his part. No, definitely not. And look, as I said, Pat Fox is having a great battle with Ali Kilkenny and had one freeze in particular. And, um, you know, frustrated. But again, it goes back to that kind of way of thinking. It was just, sure, you have to win it and that's it. That was kind of the thought process and I suppose Cody definitely carried that through later on, about 20 years later as well with, with Kilkenny too. You know, you just, you had to win your own ball. That's what was expected into County Hurling. You didn't really get an opportunity to shout back out the field and throw your hands up into the air and say, the ball you're giving me a shite. It was more a case of deal with what you got and that was it. Simple as that. Yeah, yeah, that was it, yeah. Come here, um, I mentioned this to Cyril Farrell there. It was something Pete Finnerty said. And in 1991, Galway beat Offaly in under-21 All-Ireland final by double scores. And Offaly went on then to win two All-Irelands, obviously, in the 90s. And isn't it mad that that 91 under-21 team could not have joined with the, that Galway team in 1990, for example, and become an incredible force in the game, isn't it? Isn't it a strange one the way Galway just kind of disappeared after that, and Galway then go on to win two with with a lot of that 91 team, Wheelahans, the Tries, Pilkingtons were on that. Yeah, I suppose they were very close to win. The, well, not very close, but they were close to win the All Ireland in 1993. Um, you know, against Kilkenny. And, final, yeah. yeah, and look, that was a hugely disappointing game um, from a Galway perspective, and. Then after that, they just always seem to get beaten by the All-Ireland champions, you know, in the semi-finals. And we kind of discussed this before, you know, coming straight into those All-Ireland semi-finals was a huge um, hamper to that team. And I suppose you get into a, a downward spiral and certain players just don't, um, it just doesn't click for them. And look, as long as I remember Galway, they produce unbelievable underage teams, massive stars, you know, they're always producing them. And they just really struggle um, to get that 15 to to get those performances back to back they could definitely produce like one off games but actually to do it back to back and win all Ireland just proved so difficult for them like, you know sure they did essentially go from 88 to 2017 um, without winning all Ireland as, as, as well so like um, it just shows how long um, or, or, or how difficult Galway have struggled with that you know mould yeah. these underage players together with probably the, the more seasoned players that they have I'm I'm in a like I, I appreciate what Cyril Farrell says like obviously I do think that when people this is me now not Cyril when people think of Galway they don't think of Waterford of Wexford they think Galway are probably a little bit further on than them but in terms of all Ireland and Offaly as well you know Galway are in that level so maybe we're judging them on too high uh, you know a standard because I look back at that eight 1980s and I half think Galway kind of underachieved for, by, not, by only winning two All-Irelands, especially with that brilliant half-backline team, you know, the the Keedies, yeah. the, the Finnerties. Like, then I look at Tipperary and 
that was a brilliant team back in their history and they only won two All-Irelands out of their one in 89 and 91. So I don't know yeah. maybe it was shared. Kilkenny won two after 91 then and that's not seen as any brilliant Kilkenny team. It's a weird one, isn't it? Yeah, it is to be fair. I suppose it just shows how hard it is to win All-Irelands consistently and I suppose everything's just, I suppose, dwarfed or just kind of changed since that Kilkenny team just completely dominated under Cody. I suppose he had two or three teams on the go, essentially, but yeah. you know, how much they have achieved that, you know, win, winning one All-Ireland was, was brilliant. Winning winning two with any team was just unbelievable. Like, you go back, I suppose, bring it on further, you go to that unbelievable Clare team. You know, they only won two All-Irelands. Yeah, you know, that's yeah, yeah. That's team of the 90s. They only won two All-Irelands. It just shows how difficult it is to win All-Irelands for, for every team, probably with the exception of that bloody Kilkenny team. Right, so they, that Kilkenny team have distorted my thinking of, you know, what yeah. a team should do. You know, that's... Yes, and it's exactly. Back. And like Dublin probably in football at the moment, you know. Yeah. Yeah, so it's back. It's back. Hurling is back now where it was back then, where, you know, it's yeah. been... It's been won by different teams every year, and it's very, very difficult to get to get that second one, especially in a row. So what Galway did basically in eighty seven, eighty eight was massive. Yes, exactly, massive. And look, like you know, you were talking about the Kilkenny the other day and saying maybe they weren't that dominant. And then we, you know, when we stopped and we analysed it for a second, they won four in a row, lost one, won another two. Do you know? So like, it's it it just shows like as you said how much Kilkenny's dominance distorted everything um, and like Galway winning two All-Irelands was phenomenal you know like we if we go back to the current Galway team that won the All-Ireland a couple of years ago fantastic team they got back to the All-Ireland the year after and Limerick just pipped them at the post you know and they've struggled since doesn't mean they've a bad team it's just it's, I suppose it's just really really difficult to win All-Irelands Um and you know, so that's what we're starting to see again. And you know, you're talking there as well about Galway underage teams struggling to break through. Like we're only starting to see Evan Nyland starting to make any inroads on that Galway senior team, and that's during the league this year. Do you know, like it's 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 still going to be he'll have a hot, lot of hurling to do if we ever get back to championship this year. But to try and nail down a starting senior team, and you know, he was an underage star like for, for Galway with the minor there Do you know so it just shows how difficult it is to make that step up to senior and stay there consistently yeah no it definitely does right great stuff Brian we'll come back with performance of the weekend after the match with uh, you know with Marty Morrissey and the Marty squad and you know the big the big thing for me yesterday with Clare hey, versus Galway was hang on, hang on did you ask permission to do the Marty squad there well, uh, well, right. well, I, well I didn't <laughs> but I didn't but I was only a special guest that Thursday you asked me the same question when I started Bubbles and I said it yesterday on the Marty squad says yes I would have started Bubbles for that game yesterday that was the first I heard of Johnny Green coming back with the Galway squad. You know, I was asked just in the Marty squad. Here, Damien, are you getting paid for Marty squad jokes on our show here? <laughs> That's three. Wait, no, I do, I, do, I, I do that completely voluntary. <laughs> <laughs> he hits it, he hits it, it's over the ball! Oh, holy Moses! What a Move away from the mess in there, lads, right? We have a serious show to do here, right? But, 
performance of the weekend and the first nomination is Declan Ryan. We won't spend too much time on him because we've talked about him already. Like, I mean, three in the second half and he's the only one that kept the fight going to Galway on a consistent basis. A kind of similar style of scores, the three after halftime, kind of all whipped over the bar where, you know, the, the Hill 16 knew they were going over the minute the left is hurled and the cheer went up. Yeah, and a beautiful striker, the ball, like, you know, open side, left-handed, and low trajectory for all of them. And just like, it, it was beautiful hurling and, you know, a fantastic battle with Jerry McInerney, as we said already, you know, yeah. young man in his first All-Ireland. Um, brilliant performance. That was Declan's first year, was it? I thought yeah. it was set in history. It's definitely his, it was first his, his first All-Ireland. Yeah, yeah, first season. So, um, do you know, he was 20, I think it was, that the commentary said. So that'll just tell you, you know, what, what and, and to be marking someone... Um, as good as Jerry Merkin Ernie and as I said, he 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 pulled some fair timber in that first half too. He put his body on the line and um he didn't shirk from any responsibilities and you know really got it tough in that first half in particular off McInerney when he got up the field and sniped him for a point. But you know, in fairness to him, he was Tipperary's best performer on the day by a long shot. He was. He was. And is it possible for me to put the two of them in performance that we can considering that they were marking each other. I have two of them down here, but Jerry McInerney, like, I mean, Jerry McInerney is as iconic back then as Tommy Walsh was. And in a, in a, in a lot of ways, he was a lot more electric than Tommy Walsh because he, he was, he was built stronger and he, Jerry McInerney just did everything at 100 miles an hour. He didn't know how to just go get a ball and give a hand pass off. Everything he did was at like super breakneck speed and just electric. Yeah, and head down. It was always yeah. the head down and go on his head, like almost Sonic the Hedgehog kind of stuff. He like, just you know? starts off, it's everything he does starts in a sprint. The minute the ball is in his hand, he's sprinting. He's not doing yeah. anything other than sprinting. <laughs> yeah, I know, he fairness to me, he was legendary and really lifted that Galway crowd. They loved it, you know, when he got yeah. the ball. As you said, you're right, there is a great uh, um, comparison there with Tommy Walsh. Um, Tommy probably just... Uh, an all-around better hurler, I would feel. Yeah, yeah, um, more talent. But, uh, Tommy be more talented, but Jerry, there's something. Uh, Jerry had electricity that Tommy didn't have. Whatever electricity yeah. means. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I appreciate your point, and I do appreciate the fact that it, how do you put the two of them in in the performance weekend? Yet still, McInerney got two brilliant scores, and particularly that one in the second half. Yeah. Um, you know what a catch from a long clearance. You know, drove up out. ten or fifteen meters. I was, oh yeah, that's right, yeah, and you know, brilliant score from distance as well. Like you know, so you know he he um it, it was a great battle, you have to say. Like, but you know, I suppose he'd be disappointed that he got sniped for four points at the same time. You know, no defender would be happy with that. Um, yeah, especially off a young man like that. Yeah, one of them, for some reason, he was back away from him and Declan Ryan burst through two other players. So like I'd say, back in Ernie, would be thinking, geez, lads, thanks very much for that one. But no, I do take your point. Four points four points is a good one. It's a weird one that the Galway midfield completely dominated the tip midfield. Colin Bonner now, we've seen two All-Irelands of his, um, 1998 and 1997. He's still, back, still around at centre-half back and he, he didn't play brilliantly. Um, in either of them and the other midfielder was it Fahey was taken off as well and both Coleman and Malone I have Malone down here he got three from play he was very very good yeah Joe Hayes was the other one to start midfield Joe Hayes. Um, yeah so like it was definitely the, the, the Galway midfield won that battle there's no doubt about it Pat Malone sure as you said three points brilliant performance had a couple of wides um, 
you know, he he'd dominated proceedings in, in that middle of the field. But I suppose good bit of ball did bypass them. Um but you're right, that Tipperary midfield had little or no uh, effect on the game, made no real inroads in, into it. Um weren't much of link players. They whipped on a few balls all right at times, but you know, it definitely seemed to bypass them, whereas the Galway midfielders um definitely were able to, you know, get into the game and create more opportunities Mike, Michael Coleman hit a lot of ball um, into the wind in that second half as well you know he yeah. just was getting it and hurling it first time um, but but still got his hands on a lot of ball you know Yeah Tony Keady got a fish on man of the match according to Wikipedia and it's interesting Cyril Farrell saying that he was a forward until they converted him into a centre back Yeah I never knew that myself now being honest um, but you can see the, the stylish hurler yeah, that he was you can, you can definitely see it, and look, we we raved about his score in the 1990 final, um, and you can you can definitely see where that came from now. And he was a beautiful hurler, brilliant hands, obviously. Um, hard to pick a man the match, I have to say. Well, you know, the, you know, there wasn't, you know, there was no outstanding performance. I thought like Keady was very good at centre back. Still, Donny O'Connell pipped him for a couple of points. You know, got one in the first half could have been a goal. Um, Maybe could have hand-passed it before he rode the tackle to Pat Fox and it was a definite goal. But even himself, when he got through, could have shot low. Um, but it was a much-needed point. He should, no, he, yeah, he should have passed that to Pat Fox. Though. Fox yeah. was kicker. Yeah, this is was. Pat Fox. That has to go to him. Definitely. You know, I agree with you. And then he got a score in the second half where Donny O'Connell, he ran a Keady when he should have put it over the bar much sooner. You know, he, he got lucky in the way because Keady closed him down lovely and nearly blocked him down. But still, look, Keady, I suppose, at centre-back, he still hurled the world the ball um, without being probably his electric best. It's like what I was describing, Sean, all a couple of weeks ago. Had probably a great game, yet probably just not to the extent, uh, huge standards I expect of him. You know, that kind of way. Yeah, yeah. No, me too. Like, when I saw Keady was man of the match in this one, and especially after seeing how brilliant he was in 1990, I was expecting more from Keady's performance. Yeah. I don't want to run it down he was still very very good um, Ollie Kilkenny deserves a mention um, kept Pat Fox scoreless and Fox had ran a muck um, the year before against Galway I'm fairly sure he he, uh, he cleaned up now I do accept your point of the long puckouts you know swamping that area and made it easy on him but I thought he did well on Fox I suppose in the first half um, as well Hopper McGrath played very well John Kennedy played very well I, I think the man of the match has to go to Pat Malone doesn't it like I mean in the first half you got the two from play he was in the game. The, very important. All of Galloway's points in the second half were important. The two from Hopper McGrath, Jerry McInerney, the inspirational one, Pat Malone with important one because when Tipper coming back at them, it just pushed them out. Do you know, yeah. in front, that little bit more. I'd say you'd probably go Pat Malone even though there was no standout man of the match. You'd nearly go Declan Ryan had he not been on the losing team. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and probably the fact that McInerney got those couple of points off him. You know, if he'd even kept them to one, I would have felt Declan Ryan was nearly performance at the weekend. Um, yeah. You know, and, and for such a young man that I learned. But actually, no, I actually, now that you've talked about like that, I agree with you on the Pat Malone thing. Three points, middle of the field in a tight, tough game, you know, scores at a premium and to score three points like that and have probably four or five shots, as you said, at the posts. Um, that's some performance from a midfielder. And, and yeah, I think you're right for that one. Okay, yeah, and I do say, I, I agree that Coleman probably, he, he got on a lot of ball and gave some good ball in in the second half as well. So that's it, performance of the weekend to Pat Malone, and we're going to leave it there, Brian. We'll be back. Might do a different type of show on Thursday. We're flying through these. We'll be left with no All-Irelands. We don't know when the light is at the end of the tunnel with this, Brian. This could be a long haul for three months, so I'm going to, I, might give a, I might give these All-Irelands a break or we'll be out of material at the end of 2nd April. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I know there's some good matches still to cover, but no, I appreciate your point. There's a couple of good talking points we probably need to cover as well and see can yeah, we get any. The one I want to do next is the Munster final with Waterford and Cork. And if we do another Cork match, I'm going to be completely uh, abused on, on Twitter. So I'm going to give it a break here. and We might do the Munster final the next, next Monday. Brilliant. Okay, go on. Talk to you, Brian. Thanks, Thanks very much. Molly. Right, that's it. We'll, we'll talk to you all on Monday and good luck. Well, when I started running, I suppose I didn't stop. And when I got the chance to go, I said I should go on. So it opened up. We're running the small little fish out there, so we are, and uh, we're trying hard to make it through. But it's hard to get the breaks when you're the smaller fish. Because I love this county so much, you know. And it's just I'm delighted that the lads, the lads did it for the people of Waterford today. Because like I, I'm heart, I'm heartbroken. <laughs>